Well, church, our passage this morning comes from the book of 1 Peter. If you want to open there with me, 1 Peter chapter 2, 4 through 10 is our passage. First Peter 2, 4 through 10. Let me read this for us. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for those who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. You may be seated. Let me pray as we begin this morning. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you again for an opportunity to come together, to be your church gathered, um, to hear your word preached, to sing praises, Lord, um, and to be reminded of what you have accomplished for us. So as we look to your word, Father, I pray that the Holy Spirit would give us understanding and would guide us in this time. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, today, as uh, both, uh, both of the Dustins have already mentioned, we are going to be beginning a new series. Um, we're going to be taking a break for just a few weeks from the book of Genesis, and we're going to be looking into the church, focusing on the church. And uh, today, we'll, we'll start by looking at the identity of the church. Uh, who is the church? What is her identity? And then next week, Dustin Saunders will be talking about what church discipline is. Um, what does that mean and what does that look like? How is that done in a healthy way? Uh, so you won't want to miss that. And then the following weeks, we'll look at the worship of the church and then the mission of the church. So this is where we're headed for the next few weeks, uh, and we haven't done this in a couple years. Um, it's been a few years since we've specifically focused on the church, and so we, we wanted to take this time to be looking at the church um, and, and, and talking through, looking at what it means to be a faithful church. Uh, now, as you hear that, you might, be, you might be thinking, why spend time just talking about the church? Right? If, if you're here today, it's probably because you believe in church. You think church is a good thing. That's why you showed up. 
Uh, and, and so you, you understand church. So why are we going to spend time just looking at the church and, and what she is called to do? Uh, and, and I hope that you do understand the church, and yet it's important to take time. It's in, important to, to spend time every few years at least to go back and to clarify who the church is. Why does the church exist? What does it look like to be a faithful church? Um, especially now, maybe more than ever, we live in a time where the church is under attack. Uh, I'm not talking about physical attack or physical persecution, but there is a great attack on who the church is, the identity of the church. As, as you know, we are surrounded in our culture by many organizations that claim to be the church and yet totally disregard everything that the Bible calls them to do. These, these organizations claiming to be the church and yet they don't function as God has called them to be. And so it seems in our day, the attack on, on churches is not really to, to silence or to shut down the church, but really to, to pollute the church, um, to al- allow the, the, the scenery to be filled, saturated with other organizations calling themselves churches that really aren't the church. And so this leads to confusion. This leads to misunderstanding of who the church is, what she is called to be. So instead of being silenced, we're being diluted and having our voice marginalized by all those others claiming to be the church. And so this is the context um, that we live in. Um, this is the world that we live in. So we need to be, to be clear. We need to, to see and understand what God is calling us to do. So that is why we're, we're taking this time to focus on the church, ask this question, what is, um, our, what is our identity as a church? What is our mission? What does it look like to practice church discipline? So this morning, again, focusing on the identity part. Who is the church? What is um, the church's identity? So keep your, your Bibles open to that, that first Peter section. We're going to be looking there. Um, our passage this morning comes from a letter written by the Apostle Peter. And um, he is he's writing to a bunch of churches. Um, and, and what we read from verse 4 all the way up to verses 10, we're really going to be focusing on that last, those last two verses um, of what Peter is talking about. He, um, in those verses, Peter specifically highlights the church's identity. Um, if you look there really quickly, you'll see that there are kind of four analogies or four pictures that Peter gives us of what the church is. Um, so the, the first of those, and, and we'll, we'll be kind of walking right through these. So if you're taking notes, you can write these down. The first is that the church is a chosen race. The church is a chosen race. The second is that the church is a royal priesthood. Number three is the church is a a holy nation. And number four, the church is a people for God's own possession. So we'll we'll walk through each one of these, look at what it means for the church to be these things, how how these help us understand who the church is and her identity. Um, We'll kind of look big, the universal church, and then towards the end, we'll zoom in and we'll look more at the practicals. What does it mean in the local church? How How does this play out? So again, 
Look back now with me to our passage, First um, Peter, and again for some of the some of the context, Peter is writing this letter um, to a church to a group of churches that were experiencing a lot of perse- persecution. Um, so intense persecution is happening, um, and Peter is writing this letter to encourage the churches in in really what is this this area would have been modern day Turkey. And he's writing this letter to a bunch of local churches to remind them of who they are. Um, in, in chapter 1, we see Peter talks about the inheritance that is the churches. This imperishable, unfading, kept in heaven for you. This is the inheritance. So Peter is encouraging and building up the church by reminding her of her inheritance. And then in chapter 2, talking about Christ as the cornerstone, then he focuses in on the church's identity. And you can, you can imagine what these little churches would have been facing. Small little churches in this massive empire being persecuted, tempted to feel completely insignificant, tempted to want to give up, to call it quits. And so Peter is writing this letter to, to call them to persevere, to not give up. He's showing them their identity, that they are not insignificant, but they are the people of God. They are the chosen of the Father. So look with me in verse 9. This is where Peter begins giving um, these four pictures of who the church is. He starts by saying, but you are a chosen race. So the first picture that we get of the church is that the church is a chosen race. Now, what does it mean to be a chosen race? Why is Why is Peter using this sort of language? Um, Again, and how does this make sense? If if you've read the book of Ephesians, you know that the church is to be built up of is multi generation, um, multi um, ethnicities. It is supposed to be Jews and Gentiles brought together. So how can Peter, who is a Jew, now say that the church is one race, a chosen race? And and what we see that Peter is doing here is he, with all four of these, he's taking this Old Testament language, these pictures or analogies that were used for the nation of Israel, and now he's using those to describe the church. So in the Old Testament, uh, Israel was described as God's chosen race because they literally were a chosen race. Um, They were one group of people. They had been called out from all the other nations to be God's people. So again, why is now that sort of language being applied here? Uh, How does it make sense to apply it to the church that is made up of many races? Uh, and, And what you'll see is that spiritually speaking, there really are only two races. The church is like a new spiritual race. And let me, let me explain what that means. You see, for, for all of us, there are those who are under Adam, who have been born under Adam, and then there are those who have been born again into the second Adam, Jesus. So spiritually, there are, all of us are either under Adam, meaning that we are still under our guilt, in our sin before God, or we've been born again into the second Adam. This is a new sort of race. We've been born again into this new creation. 
Jesus is the head of the new creation because he's the first to rise from the dead, but then everyone else who's been brought into him is part of that new creation. If you remember to when Jesus is talking with Nicodemus, he, he mentions that following him is like um, being born again. Jesus uses the language of being born again because we need to be born again into the new creation, a spiritual birth. Um, Jesus is the new and better Adam that we are brought into. So spiritually, you are either under the first Adam in your sin or you are a new creation. You are under the second Adam, the, the, the new and better Adam, um, the, the new creation. 1 Corinthians 13, uh, 10.13 says this, Whoever is in Christ is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. So when we think about the church then, the church is all those who have been born again. They are a new race because they've been born again as part of the new creation. You can ask the question, well, how does this, how does this happen? How is someone born again? And, and Peter tells us, he says, you are a chosen race. Everyone who is a part of the new creation has been chosen by God. In, God, in God's love, he chose us before the foundation of the world that we might be blameless in him. So just like Israel, Israel was a nation that was selected, picked specifically out of all the other nations to be God's chosen race. We have been called out of the world. We have been brought out of the first Adam and into the second Adam. Jesus has brought us out so that we could be born again into the new creation. So the church, again, is this chosen race. So that's the first one we see. Let's now move to the second one. The second picture that Peter uses to describe the church is a royal priesthood. A royal priesthood. priesthood. And um, in this this language should sound familiar to you because this is what Emily read in our Old Testament passage. Um, Exodus 19, where, where the Israelites have just come out of Egypt, they have been rescued, and then God says, you will be to me a kingdom of priests. So Peter is taking that language again and now applying it to the church, applying it to um, believers. But what does that mean? How is the, the church then supposed to be a royal priesthood? What does that look like? Well, in the nation of Israel, the, the priests were a specific tribe, um, the tribe of Levi, and they were set apart from all the other tribes specifically to minister before God on behalf of the people. So, um, the Levitical priests would purify themselves and then they would serve in the temple and they would offer sacrifices for the people. Um, so in a sense, uh, the, the priests were responsible for mediating a relationship between God and his people. So can you see the similarities? We are now a kingdom of priests and we are called to do a lot of the same things. As, as a kingdom of priests, we have been set apart for God's service. Everyone in the church has been set apart to serve God. We are those whom God has purified, not with washing, not with outward cleanliness, but from within. We've been purified to serve and minister before God. The difference 
comes in how we offer sacrifices. So Jesus' ultimate sacrifice ended the sacrificial system. So we no longer go to a temple and, and offer bulls and goats. Instead, as Christians, what do we offer? We come and we offer ourselves. We are living sacrifices, is what the Bible says. Romans 12, 1, Paul reminds the church, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So Christians, we don't offer bulls and goats. We come to God's temple and we offer ourselves as living sacrifices. We lay down our life. We sacrificially give up our rights and we serve others because we are the sacrifice. This is, our, this is the way as, as royal priests that we worship. Another difference um, between uh, our priesthood and the, and the Old Testament priesthood comes in the temple. Uh, the Old Testament, the priests would go to a physical temple. They would offer sacrifices. They would work in the temple. And yet, in the new covenant, in, in the church, we are the temple. We are the temple because we are indwelt with the Holy Spirit. Um, look back at our first, our, our first Peter passage in verse 5. Peter writes about this. He says, You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So individuals, we are living stones and we are building up God's spiritual temple because individuals filled with the Holy Spirit gathering together, we are the new temple, the place where God is. Uh, Finally, we see that a, a royal priesthood are those who are called to mediate God's knowledge, his presence, and his forgiveness to the rest of the world. So just like the priests, this is what they were called in the Old Testament. Now, the church is to mediate God's forgiveness to the rest of the world. We are ambassadors called out um, to represent God in all that we do. So when the outside world looks at us and they see the church, they should see what God is like and they should see the forgiveness that he offers. Mark Dever puts it like this. He says, the church is the gospel made visible. The church is the gospel made visible. When people see us, a royal priesthood, they should understand who God is and what he has done for us. The third picture that Peter uses to describe the church is a holy nation. The church is a holy nation. So just like all the other ones, this is what Israel was called to be. Uh, In contrast though, Israel actually was a nation. They had their own land, they had their own government, they had their own system um, of justice. And so they were called to actually be a holy nation, to be distinct. They were being, to be set out different than the rest of the world. Um, they are called to be holy because God is holy. And yet, if you've read any portion of the Old Testament, you will find out quickly that this is not how Israel lived. Um, they were anything but holy, They did not walk in purity. They did not set themselves apart from the rest of the nations. And actually, they wanted to be like the other nations. They they chased after the gods of the other nations and they they, uh, made themselves unclean 
by idolatry and worshiping false gods. Instead of being holy, the nation of Israel eventually became like Sodom and Gomorrah. Uh, and and this, this is what led to their judgment from their judgment and their exile from the land. So as we, we think about Israel, this, this nation that was called to be holy, but, but rejected that calling, that walked in impurity, we can be tempted to judge them. And yet, if we look at our own lives, if we look at, at the church, we can see that so much of Israel's story is reflected in our own story. That a lot of times we are like Israel, chasing after other gods, being polluted by the world. Although we are called to be, to be holy, we compromise. The church has adapted the, the idolatry of the world, worshiping money, status, and comfort. And that's, and that's true for the larger church, but it's also true for as us as individuals. As we see our own heart, we are tempted with idolatry. We have compromised at times and, and gone after other gods. So the question that this should raise for you is how are we different? If Israel wasn't able to be a holy nation, how is the church able to be a holy nation if we're, if we're also broken? And the difference is this. In Exodus, the passage that we read, if, if you looked closely, God says, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you will be a holy nation. So for Israel, in order to be a holy nation, Israel needed to obey God. But because they failed at this, they also failed to be a holy nation. The church, however, is not called to obey in order to become a holy nation. The church is declared by God to be a holy nation. God simply says, you are a holy nation. There is no earning involved. And how is this possible? How is this made a reality? And it's because we are in Christ. The church is now in Christ. So Christ's perfect work, his obedience, his life, death, and resurrection accomplishes our purity, our righteousness. We are in him. So what this means for the church is, is we don't strive and obey God in order to become holy. We are holy in Christ. We are a holy nation. Therefore, we walk out the holiness that has been given to us. Christ has purchased our holiness. And in Christ, we strive to walk out that holiness. Finally, the fourth picture that Peter gives us is the church is a people for God's own possession. The church is a people for God's own possession. We see this in verse 9, but then also if you look down to verse 10, it says, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. So Peter is showing that the church is the people that God has purchased for himself. So the church is pri a people, God's people. It's not an organization. It's not a business. It's not a building. The church might have some of those things and function in some of those ways, but the identity of the church is to be the people of God. In love, God is creating a people for himself, for his glory. This is the church. All those who have been called out of darkness 
All those who he has adopted by, him, by his own grace, by his mercy, this is the church, the people of God. He has rescued us, not because we've earned it, but because of his love. Just as Israel was God's special chosen people, he selected from all the nations. Now the church is God's people. The church made up of Jews and Gentiles is God's chosen people. That is our identity. Um, turn with me to Titus chapter 2. You can kind of keep your finger there in, in 1 Peter, but look to Titus chapter 2, 11 um, through 14. Uh, Titus, uh, in, the, in this letter that Paul writes to Titus, um, he highlights what this means to be God's people. So Titus chapter 2, 11 through 14. Paul writes, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Listen to this. Who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. I love the way it's put there that we are a people for God's own possession. He has purified, he has redeemed us, brought us out of the world so that we might be his. So that is the identity of the church. We are God's own possession. So with all these pictures of the church, we have a better sense of who the church is. Um, the church is God's people that have been set apart for his glory. And, and through all of these analogies and pictures, one thing that is so clear is that God loves his church. Did you catch that? The church is not a group of random people that God simply tolerates. The church is not a bunch of misfits that, that just happen to be thrown together and make God angry. No, the, the church is God's precious possession. His people that he has personally brought out of darkness, brought into light that we might live for him, that we might glorify him with our whole lives. So God loves the church. He cares for the church and values the church. He's done everything that is needed for her salvation. As we, as we understand that, as we think about it, is that the same way that we look at the church? Do we love the church in the same way? It can be so easy to come to the church with selfish, selfish expectations to think about what the church is supposed to give for us, to give to us, to have this sort of consumeristic mindset. What, what is the church going to do for me? How am I going to be, how are my needs going to be met in the church? Rather, seeing the church as God's people called together for his glory. So instead of getting frustrated, instead of getting annoyed at the church, we need to work to build her up. We should pray for the church Look to build up the church and put the church's needs and the, the preferences of others above ourselves. Not coming with a selfish expectation, but looking to make God's name famous. 
So now that we have seen who the church is and what her identity is, we can ask the question, where is the church visible? Um, where do we see the church? Uh, and this, this question, again, is a little different for the people of God. For Israel, they were a, a nation. So they had a land. They had their own, own place where you could find them. And yet, for God's church, they are scattered all over the world. They can be found worshiping in buildings. Um, they can be found worshiping in homes. They can be found worshiping in apartments, under trees in some areas. All different styles, all different languages, different denominations, and yet the church is united by the Spirit of God. Those believing the true gospel are and united by God's Spirit. So, where is the church visible? The church is visible in the local gathering of believers. In the local gathering of believers, believers gather Sunday after Sunday around the world. We gather at different times in different locations, but we all gather as one universal body to praise the Lord. This is what the church does. It's what the church is called to. And, and even the word church um, or ecclesia in Greek, it means assembly. It means gathering together. So this is who the church is. It is a gathered people. Uh, that is why the local church is gathered. It's so important for us to gather together, to hear God's word preached and to receive the Lord's Supper together. Um, so there are some churches that are bigger. There are some that are smaller. And yet each local gathering is an expression of the larger universal church. And what this means, what this means is that the identity is the same. The identity of the universal church is the identity of the local church. We are still God's chosen race. We are his royal priesthood, a holy nation, and a people for his own possession. So this is why we take church so seriously. The church does not belong to us. It's not something we can take and manipulate and do whatever we want with, but God has created the church. The church belongs to him. And so when we come to church, we honor him by doing what he has called us to do. It's not simply a, a group of friends hanging out, looking to fulfill their own desires and their, their own hobbies. The church has been called together by God for his glory. We exist for his glory. So when we think through how should church be run, who should the leaders of the church be, how are we supposed to conduct our worship services, all of this goes back to God's word. We're not free to change and manipulate and come up with whatever we want. The church is called by God and we are to be faithful to him. One of the ways that this works out practically in our church is through practicing church membership. So since the church is called to be a gathering of local people, holy, set apart from the world, one of the things that's important to know is who we are. If we are to be a royal priesthood serving with one another, representing the gospel to the world, we, know, we need to know who one another is. So the way that we recognize this is through church membership, being able to know who we are accountable to. Um, practicing church membership is a way that we are faithful to who God has called us to be and also what he has called us to do. So 
even though some will say, well, the church membership is not clearly commanded in the Bible, but without church membership, we cannot faithfully live in obedience to what has, God has commanded us to do. And I want to give you an example of this. If you would turn to Hebrews 13, 17. Turn with me to Hebrews 13, 17. And we're going to see how, how this practically works out in believers' lives. Hebrews 13, 17 says this. Obey your spiritual leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. So, in this passage, we, we learn two things. First, we see that the church is called to live in obedience to its leaders. And then second, we see that the leaders need to know and are going to be held accountable for how they did at shepherding God's people. So those are the two things that we see. So as Christians, how do you know who your spiritual leaders are? How do you know who you are supposed to submit to? Right? The, the question's a really practical one. Are you, are you to submit to all spiritual leaders out there? What about the spiritual leader at the, the church down the street or the spiritual leader of the church online? Who are you supposed to submit to? How are you supposed to obey Hebrews 13, 17. And church membership makes this really clear for us. Church members follow the spiritual leaders of their local church. Once a believer finds a church that they, that they trust, that they align with theologically, the next step then is then to submit themselves to the church, to the congregation, and to faithfully commit to serving her. This in turn helps other believers know who we are accountable to. In, in the Bible, there are so many passages where we are commanded to live out the one another's. Um, the one another passages, Dustin's talked a lot about these. These are passages like love one another, be devoted to one another, live in harmony with one, one another, admonish one another, speak truth to one another, confess your sins to one another, and all of these. These are passages given in the context of the local church. The apostles are writing to local churches and they know that these commands can only be lived out with other believers. So if you're not connected to a local church, if you're not in submission to a local church, you cannot obey these commands. This is why we talk often about church online is not actually church. You're not in submission to leaders but then you're not able to live out the one another's um, like we are called to do. So without membership, things get confusing. Um, but again, with membership, with healthy membership, we're able to see who we are accountable to and who we are responsible for. So as, as a church member of this church, I know what my responsibility is. As one of the members of Del Cerro, I know that if a brother or sister is, has fallen into sin, it is my job to go and try to restore them. Oftentimes, I, I'll, I'll bring someone with me, but I know this because we have agreed to this. Together, we have a covenant uh, that kind of guides how we relate to each other. How are we supposed to be brothers and sisters of the local church? And, and this, this way of relating to someone is different than how I relate to a Christian from another local church. 
right? We're, we're called to love and, and to serve, and yet my relationship with someone from another church is a little bit different. I'm not responsible to them in the same way. Um, I'm not committed, and one of those reasons is because they haven't given me that permission, and I haven't given them that permission in my life. But together, as a community that has a covenant holding us together, we know what we are responsible to. So, uh, in, a, in a weird way, in a sort of analogy that helps us think about this, um, I am called to treat all Christian women as my sisters in Christ. And yet, obviously, because of the covenant I have with my wife, my responsibility, my commitment to her is very different because of that covenant that we have. So, it's not a perfect analogy, but you can see that the covenant helps define the relationship and helps us see who, that we, um, who we are responsible to. Um, I can remember a time in my life that understanding the relationship would have been really helpful for me. Uh, there was, just as a, an example of this, there was a time when I was trying to disciple a young man at SDSU. Um, the only problem was this young man did not know I was trying to disciple him. And uh, so, in a sense, it was like a little, like a sneak a date, a sneak a date, but it was a sneak a discipleship meeting. Um, and so, I, w- I would ask him to hang out, and I would, I would try to meet up with him. And I can imagine it was, it was a little strange for him, since I'm asking him some personal questions and trying to help him grow in his faith. And, and he's just thinking, man, like I just thought we were going to hang out, and Josh keeps taking it and twisting it. And so, again, it would have been helpful to know what our relationship was. Um, I like to use the term, it would have been helpful to have a DTR at that moment. Um, if you don't know what a DTR is, it's define the relationship. You have to define the relationship. Where are we at? And essentially, this is all that church membership is. We have, as a body, defined the relationship. We know who we are accountable to, and we know that um, we have a relationship with the believers in the church that's different from those outside the church. So that's the first thing that we see, but then we also see from Hebrews 13, 17, that spiritual leaders are held accountable for those under their care. Spiritual leaders are going to be accountable for how they shepherd, shepherded their people. So in other words, who is the flock that they have been placed in charge of? Who are they going to stand before God and be accountable for? And really practically, we need to know this. Are we accountable for every single person that walks in this door? Are we accountable for the creasters, those who come on Christmas and Easter only? Is that part of our responsibility? And I hope not. But practically, we need to know who are the people of Del Cerro. Who is the local church? Who are we accountable to as shepherds? And then as believers, as members, who we are relating to in the covenant um, in the covenant agreement. So really, really practical ways that this works out at our church is, is this is the why we have a membership process. It's an actual process at our church, uh, right? Part of the role of the shepherds and the congregation is to protect the, the body from wolves. So we don't invite just anyone in. Um, the church is to welcome in those who are truly a part of God's universal church. Those who have been united by faith and filled with the Holy Spirit, those who have been baptized, those are the ones that we bring into membership at our church. 
It is a way for the church to recognize who is truly a part of God's church. A helpful analogy um, for this that I read recently um, compared the church to an embassy. So the U.S. has embassies all over the world, and the job of an embassy is not to create citizens, but it's to recognize citizens. So if I was in another country and I was traveling and I happened to lose my passport, the first thing I would do would be to go to an embassy, to find a U.S. embassy so that they could look me up in their records and affirm I am actually an American citizen and then grant me a new passport. So the embassy does not grant citizenship, but it simply recognizes those who have already become citizens. So in the same way, the church is the visible body of Christ. We have been given the authority to recognize those who are truly Christians. There was a helpful definition as I was studying that said this about the church. The church is the institution that God created and has authorized to to pronounce the gospel of the kingdom, to affirm gospel professors, to oversee their discipleship, and to expose imposters. Isn't that good? We have been given the authority to pronounce the gospel, to affirm other gospel professors, to oversee their discipleship, and then to expose imposters. And I think that's a helpful picture of what the church is. Um, Whenever we welcome someone into membership, what we are doing is publicly recognizing that this person is part of the true church. We are saying that as a church, we recognize that this person is part of the universal church. This person has been brought into Christ, and so we welcome them into membership, and we say that we will be responsible for them and their discipleship. So this, again, is why we have membership interviews at our church. We want to make sure that we are only welcoming in those who are truly a part of God's people. And, and again, this is related to baptism. Um, baptism is when someone at our church, and we're going to see this in a few weeks, someone comes forward and they say, I want to publicly declare that I am with Christ, that I have been set free of my sin, I have repented, I've turned from my sin, and now I'm following Christ, publicly declare that, but Baptism is also an act of the church that says we affirm this person's profession. The person is, can claim it, and yet we are also affirming that. We also recognize that this person is part of the church. And, and really practically, what this means is that this church will never practice spontaneous baptisms. We will not have a Sunday where we just fill up the tank and say, hey, if you feel led, just come up and we'll baptize you. Why? Because we can't faithfully know that this person is, is in Christ. While we want to baptize those who are in Christ, we need to be careful as a church. We, if we spontaneously do it, we don't have the time to, to talk with someone, to look, um, to talk with them and under, make sure they understand the gospel, know that they are believing and they are walking in Christ um, and can affirm to the world that we see them as part of that universal church. So again, these are some of the ways that we practically live out what it means to be the church. We are a local expression of the universal church, and yet our identity is the same. Um, our Our identity is a chosen race, 
a royal priesthood, a holy nation, and a people for God's own possession. So as a local church, we have been given authority to recognize those who are a part of that church and to welcome them into membership. Um, and, and this is our, our privilege, but it's also our responsibility that we need to be careful with. Um, together, we, we strive to walk in holiness and protect the holiness of our church. Um, next week, we'll look at what it means when someone breaks off from this. Dustin Saunders is going to be looking at church discipline and, and why that is a thing when you have membership, when you have a community that is holding to the gospel. Um, if someone walks off, we need to practice church discipline for their good. So, Kind of wrapping up, I hope that you can see the beauty of what Christ has created. I hope that you can see that God's church is not something that we have created. It's not our idea, but it, it is a people that God has brought out of darkness, brought into light so that we would be his chosen people. We are a people for his own possession. And as right now, we gather as a local church as a part of the universal church, but we look forward to the day when we will gather together. The Bible tells us that there, there will be a day when all of God's people will be gathered together, the whole church united, standing before him in worship. This is what we look forward to. This is what we prepare for and we, we long for. So as we, as we look forward to that, let me close by reading this passage in Revelation 7, 9 through 12. And as, as, you, as you hear this picture, all of God's people, all of the local churches gathered together before the throne. Revelation 7, 9 through 12 says this. After this, I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. That is what we look forward to. Um, that's what we are preparing for as a church together, building towards that day. So let me, 